Hello, how are you? Welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. Ed Draper here, sports broadcaster in the UK. Thank you for hitting on the button. Good to have you here. If you're not feeling well, stay tuned for the podcast with Dr. Ranulf Crook of the Cotswold Optimal Health Clinic, although he says that's changing its name, but he's also a GP practitioner. We look at all things from sleep to nutrition, movement in terms of optimizing our health and immunity in the wake of the pandemic and hopefully a more preemptive attitude is going to take hold across the West uh, for all of us here in uh, the UK, US, Australia, wherever you are. So thank you for tuning into the podcast. Thank you to the sponsors as ever, Bagnolovson of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installation. It's got that fantastic Bagnolovson equipment in the store in Montpellier, the showroom in the courtyard. They're a wonderful place in the west of England here in Cheltenham. But beyond that, through Serene AV, can source you whatever your vision is for your home entertainment system, bespoke to your vision, your budget, and can offer you a consultation as well. So check out Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham website and BNO underscore Cheltenham on social media. Get the contact details for Jason Briggs and his fine team. Jason, a big Manchester United fan, no doubt very happy about the one and only Cristiano Ronaldo returning to United, fresh from becoming the international record goal scorer in football. Anyway, enough of uh, the Manchester United talk. Also, I want to say thank you to Cytoplan, food-based supplement company, not far from here, again, in a beautiful village called Hanley Swan in the west of England. They are purveyors of um, food-based supplements, as I say. My father, Dr. Mark Draper, has worked with them for 20-plus years, devising some of the ingredients, particularly around trace elements, selenium and zinc, for their multivitamins, the sort of all-in-one holistic supplements that they offer uh, he's a big fan of selenium and zinc and thinks they're deplete in UK soils. You would have to check that wherever you are in the world in terms of your soil supply. Although general trend, as we know worldwide, is for soil to diminish due to industrial farming. Nonetheless, he's a big advocate of Immune Complete, which is a supplement we take at the moment. My wife takes Immune Complete 1. I take 2, 2 not having any iron that's not really needed by your average adult male. Um, so that's the, the what we take, but you can have a look there. And we still pay for the supplements, by the way, even though my father has worked with the company for a long time, albeit at a discount, which we can offer to you at cytoplan.co.uk as well. If you go there, c-y-t-o-p-l-a-n.co.uk, you can get a 30% discount up front, 10% thereafter with the code DRAPER10R, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. Interesting, Ran offers uh, not a counterpoint, but a, a, a sort of opinion on supplementation as well. So stay tuned for that. But we certainly felt um, without having a control family that there has been a, a little enhancement that closing that gap. Of course, you need the foundations, of course, of um, sleep, rest, movement, and nutrition, which we'll talk about later in the podcast. But uh, yeah, good luck with that. Hope you are well. And if the supplements help, there's lots of bespoke ones, not just the multivitamins or vitamins there as well. And uh, a project we've been working on that you may want to check out at drapermedia.co.uk, something sp sparked by the lockdown, the pandemic in lots of ways. And I suppose that realisation of mortality and that time we had just to discuss things was thinking about my granddad who passed when I was 14 and wanting to hear his voice. So we come up with an idea called Attic Box Audio, where myself as a broadcaster of 20 plus years goes out, speaks to people in their home, conversation for a couple of hours, and typically would be grandparents, I suppose, or parents 
gives them a sort of rough run through very much in their own words, their own memories. It doesn't have to be chronological or even factually checked, but just their memories of childhood through to the present day, the loved ones in their life, the key moments just for posterity, for legacy, for family lineage down the years to, to reflect upon for grandchildren and children yet to be born to hear their parents or grandparents' voices down the line. So that's a, an interesting project we're working on. It's called Attic Box Audio. My wife and I her being a graphic designer, you can check out the early stages of that attic box audio and get in touch if you may be interested in being a customer, myself speaking to you, or, or maybe a loved one, a grandparent, or a parent. So that is drapermedia.co.uk slash attic box audio, or just go to drapermedia.co.uk and it will be there. Thank you for listening to the podcast. This hopefully is useful for you. Met Dr. Ranoff Crook at the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival a couple of years ago. He has had a special clinic alongside his general practice called the Cotswold Optimal Health Clinic, although he says here that is changing. Again, it has been Crook and Crockett with a partner of his, but I believe they're rebranding at the moment and uh, just updating that vision. But that's a personal private service they do to optimize people's health. And obviously immunity is a big part of that. So welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Ranoff Crook. Here we go. Hope you enjoy this. Dr. Ran Crook, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? You're in the, the midst of action down at your clinic on St. George's Road in Cheltenham. Yes, I'm, I'm very good. Thank you, Ed. Very good. And how are you doing? Yeah, very well. Very well. Thank you. Um, it's, it's interesting just thinking about how we emerged from this pandemic. I was reading your website, uh, Crockett and Crook, the optimal health uh, optimization program that you guys do. Just the, the emphasis on your homepage on preemptive health. I just wonder how you feel about the world now, whether this is the, the moment where maybe we'll embrace that message. Yes, I think, you know, it, it has to be one of the silver linings, doesn't it, from the, the, the pandemic. Um, mm. Obviously, there, there's been a huge amount um, of focus on the, the people who have been at most risk of, of developing the coronavirus and uh, the, the, the metabolic health problems. So people who are obese, who have poor blood sugar regulation, um, poor blood pressure control, uh, low levels of physical activity, all these sorts of things have really come to the, the forefront of people's awareness because of this pandemic. And so I think, you know, certainly right from the first lockdown, you could see the number of people who are getting out walking more and, and just uh, gyms were obviously shut, but, but people were improvising creating gyms at home or, or just simply going for walks more often. So that was really encouraging that it's highlighted and, you know, in a way, yes, it, it's incredibly frustrating for all how long it's been going on, but the longer people have been forced into those habits, hopefully the longer they will endure once we, we emerge from this sort of state of, of lockdowns and, uh, and coronavirus hanging over our heads. Yeah, I mean, COVID's clearly been the sort of clear and present danger in the, in the short term. But clear, the strange thing about it is there's obviously a, a myriad of different ailments that can still assail us at any point in, in modern life, you know, chronic illness or acute problems. And when you look at optimising immunity, I suppose there is a, an underlying foundation there, isn't there, that we can have a better immune system. There's, there's often a fatalism around health, isn't there? You hear people say, oh, I haven't got a very good immune system or I've got a great immune system without feeling realising we can we can change that. I mean, I suppose, does that play into epigenetics? We've talked about that before, that you can express different genes to, to make yourself stronger in terms of your immune system. Yeah, absolutely. So 
I guess to explain epigenetics a little bit more, so mm -hmm. your, your genes are obviously things that you can't change and, and you inherit, but how they are packaged influences how well your genes or, or which genes are, are expressed and which are turned on, if you like, and, and play an active role in, in who you are and, yeah. and your, your, your health. And our environment and our, our lifestyle can play a significant role in that packaging, what we call the epigenetics. And so, yeah, things like exercise, as we were talking about, can play a huge role in modifying and manipulating our chances of succumbing to diseases and, and infections. Uh, and particularly with, with exercise, it, it's, it's really well known now that exercise plays a, a, a significant impact on our risk of infections, particularly viral upper respiratory infections. There's lots of evidence and studies looking at that mm. but it, it's not not quite straightforward as as the more you exercise the better your immune system is there is a little bit of a trade-off so you have what what looks like if you plot your risk of developing a cold yeah. versus how hard you're exercising there you see a little bit of a j-shaped curve so going from no exercise to regular moderate exercise you see a significant improvement in your immunity and your ability to resist such infections but mm. then the harder you train and potentially then possibly go into overtraining then that stresses your body out far too much and then you start to see these rates of infections coming back so high level elite athletes have to be so careful about making sure they don't contract infections because one obviously that has a huge um, impact on their performance and yeah. their training schedule but but two they are much more at risk of developing the infection because of the the constant stress that they put their bodies through by by the the degree of training that they're doing so the the message from that really is moderate shortish bouts so i.e less than 60 minutes is, is what the yeah. evidence suggests can reduce your risk of getting colds by far more than any sort of medicines or any supplements or anything like that so just getting out going for you know a brisk walk for you know 20 30 minutes or up to an hour a day does does huge things to to support your immune system it's fantastic that and it's interesting you say about the um, intense sort of long distance athletes when I went to Loughborough University the, the long distance runners would always have cold so it's quite it's quite <laughs> consistent that it's counterintuitive perhaps but and I know some some sadly some long distance runners actually really struggled with COVID so it's definitely a, a key component and I think we are emotional creatures aren't we we're not necessarily rational and scientific and do you think using the word movement sometimes is more inviting for people than, than exercise because we do have that strenuous association in our minds about weightlifters or runners or sprinters that we we think well that's not me I can't emulate that I can't run you know a four minute mile or whatever it is that actually we don't need to there's a fascinating book by Caroline Williams who's a science writer called move and it just collates that evidence about these tribes that live to rich healthy lives around the world and they generally just they don't sit down very much around it so is that is that an easier message sometimes to just try and stay on our feet yeah you know and, and obviously you you had a, a really nice chat with our, our mutual friend James Golden about that and, and yeah. sitting less and moving more 
and it, it, it's you're absolutely right you know sometimes people are you know put off from doing anything at all because they think to to exercise and stay fit they need to go down to the gym and lift weights and you know run their heart out on the treadmill but the the most amount of benefit goes from moving to doing nothing to, to something so mm. 15 minutes a day which everybody can fit into their schedule it, it is far better than not doing anything at all so any step towards doing more within that that context yeah. of not overtraining any step towards that even if that's going for you know a few five ten minute walks a day is is far better and will have significant impact on not just your immune system but your overall risk of of you know death or chronic yeah. diseases heart disease diabetes dementia all those sorts of things so um, so really, people shouldn't be put off by thinking they have to slog it out at the gym or go for long runs or or turn themselves into some athlete. Um, one, it's about the movement, but also two, it, it's independently about not sitting. Yeah. Um, and, and that in itself is is a risk. So you don't have to be super fit. You just have to move regularly and not sit too long. It's a challenge in the modern world, isn't it? And I, I don't want to be too combative about it, but when you when you look at nutrition and, and movement, you think that we have created a world or the world's been created for us, which is very sedentary, sedentary inclined. There's not very many manual jobs, remaining manual labor work. There's also on the nutrition front, we're bombarded with, with processed sugars and stuff. You almost have to have a mindset of, uh, of a plan and a, and a sort of ability to block out a lot of... Um, a lot of the prevailing winds don't you in modern society without being sort of negative about it yeah in a way you're absolutely right we're we're almost engineering our own decline and mm. you, you know the the bulk of all of our chronic diseases now are very much lifestyle related uh and so we have to really as you say fight against it you know take the stairs rather than the lift of the escalator you know not go for those immediate access convenience foods which are highly processed lots of refined sugars and things like that so so the convenience that we've created for ourselves in in our daily life is really what's driving the increase you know health disease and and sort of burden of uh, lifestyle diseases yeah, I know, which is, is your day job as a general practitioner as well. You'll, you'll be encountering that on a daily basis. And hopefully we can shift to, to doctors managing more acute issues rather than those those chronic lifestyle problems, which I know from, from family members are a big time consumer and an energy consumer for, for the national health system at the moment. What about sleep, Rank? Because it's a holistic aspect, isn't it? Optimizing immunity. We all have our challenges. I think sleep's been a big one of mine. I don't know whether it was machismo growing up, but you, you sort of internalize these sayings, don't you? Like you can sleep when you die and, and work hard, play hard and all this kind of thing. And then you get to a certain age and you start to feel a bit, a bit creaky. And then you look at the research and think, wow, sleep could be the most important thing. How do you reflect on that with, you, with your clients? And how much do you look at that in terms of their overall health picture? Yes, sleep is absolutely um, an important and it's a fundamental driver of, again, our, our long term and, and also our acute health. Um, you know, you, you only have to deprive yourself of sleep for a matter of a few days before you see things like blood sugar levels rising to diabetic levels. And, and, and so 
it's a tricky one though because it again it's quite an emotive subject some people yeah. when they start tracking their sleep will become obsessive over it and that in itself would then you know cause their sleep quality to deteriorate and so it, it's about really knowing the person uh, and, and and how to to address it on an individual basis so tracking sleep for some people is definitely not the right thing to do and it, again, it's about how you use the wording and how, how you pitch it, because telling somebody that you must have seven hours sleep or, you know, your blood sugar mm. levels are going to go up or, you, you know, you, you're going to increase your risk of, of getting infections will, will really sort of make them worry and drive their anxiety, which will, will in, in turn, you know, put them in a worse position. So it's about looking at things that is under their control or things that are under their control so not looking to say you've got to get such and such number of hours of sleep um, it's looking at the pattern of of how they their, their their sleep behavior is so ensuring that rather than setting a goal of seven hours of sleep you, you say you know just make sure you get to bed at the same time each night or that, that you put your screen down a couple of hours before bed and and things that they can choose to do that they can you can't choose to have a good night's sleep but you no. can choose to do those things that set you up to be more likely to have a good night's sleep and and yes sleep has going back to the topic of an, an immunity it has a significant impact on our, our immune system um and, and and particularly you know thinking again of things like the the coronavirus um mm. you know, how how many hours sleep you get um, does correlate with your your risk of developing upper respiratory tract and viruses and and indeed people who have sleep deprivation before getting a flu vaccination show much reduced levels of antibodies against ah. um, the, the, the the virus that they've just been vaccinated against so you know making sure that you set yourself up for a good week of sleep prior to getting uh, a flu jab or the covid jab may well boost the, the the level of immunity you have as a result of that vaccine yeah it's funny again it sort of re relates to the environment just mentioning there about the sort of different triggers that, that we have and how there is a, a consumer market around us trying to get us devices that document all these things but the, the thought of i know that my own mind would just be i'd be waking up in the night checking what my sleep would be and i'd be the next day anxious anxious about it i'd be lying in bed thinking i need to get to sleep because i'm not a fantastic sleeper i mean my wife on the other hand you could just say to her you need to go to sleep now and she'd go to sleep it's just uh, it's absolutely different a different mindset and my daughter's actually a lot more like me so it's interesting to see how unique people are and people clearly need different amounts um of sleep i think some people need eight nine some seven but do, do you encourage napping as well if you haven't been able to get a good night's sleep if there's an opportunity for a nap because that is something that I suppose is is almost like a backup option for people isn't it if they, if they do have a bad night yeah you, you know everybody has a, a, a different situation and and it has to be taken in context with with their their current situation but napping certainly can can be useful but you have to utilize that in terms of um, cert certain criteria so what happens when when you're awake during the day is you build up sleep pressure so a chemical in the body builds up called adenosine mm. and that that drops as you get a get a sleep so obviously if you 
fall asleep watching the television or you have a late afternoon nap, then that's going to take the edge off that sleep drive, which then potentially means that at your normal bedtime, you're, you're then not going to get to sleep because you've taken the edge off that sleepiness. And so it might take you longer. Uh, and then if you've got your normal alarm clock to wake you up, as many of us do for work, <laughs> then you've actually lost out on your proper quality of sleep. But if you've got the opportunity, maybe after a bad night's sleep to, to have a, a nap earlier on in the day, then yeah. sometimes that can give somebody a bit of reassurance when they're, they're going through that stressful time. I need to go to sleep. I've got an important day tomorrow, you know, and, and it's turning over in their head. But if they've got that reassurance, actually, no, a nap is OK in the morning. You can catch up then. Then that also can help them get back to sleep without worrying too much about it. But actually... Yeah make some some sort of um, effort at uh, regaining some of that lost sleep the next day. Yeah, and often people as well with babies, there's a sense of despair when you read about how important sleep is and you're getting woken up every two hours. So if you do have that fallback of when baby's napping, getting a few minutes in the daytime, I think can be can be big for people. What about... Yes, what I, know, I know that feeling well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm actually, yeah, I'm, I'm naturally someone who, who likes a 15 minute nap and I wake up and actually feel refreshed from that. But I know that some people struggle. They go for two hours and then they wake up groggy. And um, But I tend to just rest the eyes and I think get a sense of, Maybe I think it's cortisol lowers a little bit the stress the stress response and you feel a bit uh, reinvigorated. But it's it's very much an individual thing, isn't it? As is as is as is nutrition. How important is nutrition? The food we eat, what we drink for for our immunity. Again, you you know it, it's it's critical. I, I mean, our immune system has a, a huge um, interplay in in the gut. So our gut is probably our, the, the biggest exposure of our immune system to um, the, the external environment. So, um, it, you know, the, the immune system is, is hugely complex and there are lots of things um, going on, as we've already talked about with sleep and exercise and, and, and all these sorts of things. But, uh, you know, looking after our, our gut health through, through how, how well we eat is certainly um, a, a large part in how we can look after our immune system. Um, a, a lot of that comes through the, the bugs that live inside us. So, uh, you know, often we, we think about infections and we talk about bacteria and viruses and, and fungi that, that cause us harm, when actually we've probably got to spend a lot more time thinking about the, the beneficial bacteria, yeah. viruses and fungi that that live in and on us, uh, and the, the majority of those live in our gut. And how we, how we eat really influences the, the balance of the bugs in our gut. Um, so we're, we're really learning now over the last decade, and particularly with um, some great work by uh, a, a professor called Tim Spector and the work he's been doing in a study called PREDICT, where they're, they're showing that we can really personalize what we what we eat and how that impacts on our, our gut bugs our microbiome um, and and so you can really look at now individualizing what foods people have according to what bugs they have in their uh, in their in their gut and and what diseases that they might be um, at, at risk of developing um, and whilst again that is very personalized 
there are some sort of bigger picture take-home messages that yeah. that you can get you, you know their their studies have obviously generally shown some some unsurprising findings like plant-based diets are associated with with good bugs and mm. a lot of animal based processed foods bacon sausages those sorts of things are, are associated with the the more undesirable gut bugs yeah but it's not quite as straightforward as that so highly processed plant-based foods yeah like vegan ice creams or baked beans and things like that fruit juices again they will be associated with the undesirables whereas unprocessed animal foods so oily fish yogurts eggs those sorts of things are associated with um with good bugs so you know there there is nuance in it and yeah and so it's not quite straightforward but but generally you know the the diversity of plants that you can get in your food are really what the the gut bugs like and we know the more diverse plant-based foods that you can get in your diet and the studies suggest we should be aiming for about over 30 different species of of plants or or, or so fruit or vegetables a, a week wow. um, is associated with the um the the, the greatest uh, benefits so you can't you can't just have that broccoli every night even though broccoli is good for you it's uh it's a funny one isn't it but it, it's interesting you allude to the sort of um again the emotional sort of i guess tribal aspects of nutrition that creep in because people get very attached to either a, a vegan diet or a carnivore diet the opposite end of the spectrum or a dairy-free diet or a wheat-free diet and it's um it gets very sort of passionate but actually there are almost you can sort of draw back from the nuance can't you you can look at whole foods you can look maybe but organic, do you encourage organic if people can afford it and get access to it? I, I think with with organic, again, it, it's difficult because, yes, you, you, you may potentially get higher concentrations of nutrients and things like that. But if it makes it unaffordable for people and they're restricting their, their range of vegetables, then, then it, it doesn't necessarily make sense to, to, to make that as a, a sort of a public health message for everybody. Yeah. Um, and, and again, you know, there, um, there are contradictory sort of effects on, on how organic farming is done compared yeah. to, you know, non-organic. Non and, and it's not necessarily always better in, in, in all situations. So again, it's... It, it's not one that you can make a blanket statement. Yes, everybody should aspire to to be eating organic. Um, it, it very much depends on on people's individual circumstances, what what their goals are, what their current diet is, what their current health status is, um, and, and you, you know a, a lot of what your your daily vitamin and nutrient requirements are depends on your current state of health and if you're. Um, if you've got a particular disease or deficiency, then obviously certain vitamins and nutrients are going to be much higher and you want to try and prioritize in getting those in your diet. Uh, and then you may be looking to, to looking at the quality of the, the fruit and vegetables that you're getting. Um, but, but in general, I wouldn't say that everybody has to aspire to, to, to be eating organic to get no. the majority of the benefits from, from modifying their diet.
And again, as you say, there's degrees with that. And again, there's human classification of what's organic, what's not organic. It's interesting. My father, Dr. Mark Draper, has got this allotment now. and He's growing a lot of fruit and vegetables the last couple of years and getting his even gnarly looking carrots. But they taste a whole lot different even than the, than the organic carrots from the supermarket in terms of nutrition and just feel, yeah. feel a, a different vibe. But then, but then you're eating them a few hours out of the ground. So it just feels it feels very different. Yeah, and you know he'll be he'll be farming his allotment a lot le less intensively than than yeah. you know a, 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 an established you know <laughs> uh, farm. So uh, so yes, you'll 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 have a much higher density of of nutrients for the the vegetables to grow in. It's a, it's a big debate for people, isn't it? And I, I appreciate that some people absolutely, in terms of their money in their pocket, could not afford to eat a wholly organic diet particularly if they're buying organic chicken and, and things like that but it, it's an interesting one I think we spend more on food than our mortgage because we live in a, a rather modest house but we almost make that a priority it's interesting that I don't know if you think psychologically culturally in in the west we tend to see food as a, a minimal expenditure whereas in the history of mankind it was the the prime objective for doing anything was to get good food to keep us going wasn't it do you think sometimes we need to look at that in terms of our our cultural mindset yes and and I think the trouble is, is that um, trying to make sort of public health messages that suit every situation across yeah. any population is really difficult because, you know, you, you do have situations where there, there are, you know, real issues with what they call food deserts and accessibility to, you know, high quality, you know, just natural fruit and vegetables so that people can cook from scratch. Um, <clears throat> and so it's difficult to make um, sort of policy and, and sort of overarching um, guidances for people which then exclude the, the most vulnerable, socially deprived and at-risk at um, populations um, and, and almost pushes them in the opposite direction. Yeah. So, so yes, I think, you know, as a society, yes, you know, prioritizing how to make all of this more accessible to more of the population is definitely something that would drive up the standards of um, public health and, and the, the population health. Yeah, maybe it's good to get organic veg and not, not buy IKEA sets every month or so. It's just different. It's how you uh, it's how you view things, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. How, or the next iPhone or whatever it might be. It's it's interesting what we what we invest in and, and sometimes. And we get again so many messages coming at us to, to lure us in, in that direction to to spend money on those devices. Whereas maybe the food industry wants to sell convenience and and sort of cheapness often. There's a lot of competition in there. So it's it's a complex picture. An interesting thing, Rand, that I've become more illuminated upon because you mentioned the obesity crisis and what I hadn't realized is that in terms of absolute calories we're actually intaking a lot less than previous generations again it probably connected to the sedentary aspect of of our lifestyles but if we're eating less calories and we're, we're eating sort of worse food on on average with processed foods is there a, is there a gap there do you do you talk about supplementation with some of your clients if they're not eating enough absolutely or not eating well enough to to get their nutrients how do you feel about supplements things like vitamin d I know have been a big hot topic during the, the pandemic. Yes, yeah, so, so so obviously food quality um, is is a big um, big thing in in sort of determining how how healthy you are and ensuring that you're getting the right number of vitamins and and minerals to support your immune system and and the rest of your health. 
And so if you're eating a lot of nutritionally deficient foods, then that in a way can also drive up your overall calorie consumption because your, your body is yeah. not getting the full requirement of, of nutrients and vitamins that it needs. Um, so concentrating on getting nutritionally dense food should be a, you know, a priority to maintain your, your long-term health. But in terms of supplementation, um, it, it, it's a controversial area that there yeah. are lots of conflicting studies and oftentimes it will be very particular populations that a study has been sort of designed around. And so trying to generalize that to the whole population uh, is, is easy to do, but not necessarily accurate. Um, vitamin D, uh, still, <coughs> excuse me, there's still a lot of evidence in, in terms of the correlation with things, um, vitamin D and COVID, for example. But it's difficult to tease apart necessarily whether that's the vitamin D causing that increased risk. Yeah. Or whether the vitamin low vitamin D level is more just a, a surrogate marker for somebody who is in poor health. Um, so the recommendations are, though, particularly in the UK in the winter months, to supplement with vitamin D because there's no way of getting it through the level of sunshine that we get over yeah. the winter months, unfortunately, over here. <laughs> Depressing. Yeah, as we end, as we get, we head towards the uh, the tunnel. Yeah. Yes, as as we start that that <laughs> that, that phase of, of life, um, the sunshine goes. But yes, you you know it, the, there's a fairly low risk as long as you supplement in the appropriate doses of of harm from taking the supplements. So whilst we don't know clearly whether it's just a correlation or causation, then supplementation is certainly something that that's recommended by you know the UK health authorities. Um, the Department of Health. So, um, so yes, vitamin D, as you say, is is an important one. Um, other supplements are probably a little bit more specific to when people have um, deficiencies in those yeah. those vitamins and nutrients. Um, so as we get older, we get less good at absorbing various ones, um, mm. such as vitamin B twelve. So sometimes supplementing in those when when you, you get older yeah. over 50s or so would, would potentially be something uh, we don't have a, a huge amount of evidence but there are other supplements particularly often people think of vitamin c and zinc and those sorts of things around the time that you get yeah. uh, an infection and they can be beneficial to reduce the severity or reduce the course of those sorts of things do you, would you generally advise vegans to, to look at their B12 levels as well? Because that's something that we associate with a lot of animal products, isn't it? Yeah, so, so, so vegans particularly, uh, you know, as you imply, have to, to consider their, their diets a, a lot more closely. Um, so from, from their protein intake point of view and their, their vitamin point of view, because um, it's, it's harder, it's certainly not impossible, but it's harder to get all of your nutritional um, requirements from a, a vegan diet. So you, you do have to be careful that you are getting enough 
varied sources of proteins to get up all of what we call your essential amino acids. They're the building blocks of all your tissues. Um, whereas animal-based proteins tend to be more complete. So from one animal source, you, you get the whole variety of essential amino acids. Whereas um, for, for plant-based sources, you might need to combine them such as having rice with beans or, or pasta with beans or lentils and things like that. So that that then makes up your complete range of amino acids. But things like B12, calcium, all those sorts of things um, iron <clears throat> are much yeah. harder to obtain on a vegan diet. So you, you either have to be very careful about what foods you're eating to ensure you're getting the right recommended daily allowance or else then yes, supplementing to, to, to get those levels up. Yeah, that, that's an interesting concern. I think for parents that I know as well with, with daughters and sons who, who make that decision based on, uh, on ethical reasons, I suppose, or their own moral decisions about be becoming vegan, but often, when young kids people are quite picky so that becomes quite difficult to get them to eat lentils and the, the whole variety so it is a it's a complicated picture isn't it but i suppose when you look at the density and nutrition we mentioned the, the sort of reduction in calorific intake i think bill bryson wrote a book and it was related mainly to the american population but i think he said the government guidelines for an adult male in 1970 were 3200 calories a day but it dropped to two and a half thousand in modern america and despite the obesity epidemic but i suppose circling back all these things are connected that if you move more you can afford to eat more, can't you? Which then suggests you'll get more nutrients around. Is that is that a sort of a philosophy that, that, that is probably quite positive in a way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the more you can eat, then the, the more chance you have of hitting those those recommended daily intake levels. And, and so <clears throat> if, if you like your food, <laughs> then yes, <laughs> one way of enabling you to eat more is is to, to exercise more and, and probably more specifically is is building up um more muscle mass so by by doing some strength training or resistance training uh, and building greater muscle mass your your muscles use much more um energy so it's they're, they're much more um metabolically expensive than than other tissues so even while you're not exercising when you're sitting down at, at rest if you've got much more muscle mass you you've got a a greater sort of metabolic requirement so you can afford to eat more to, to feed those requirements and so yes the the more you can eat then the more chance <laughs> you have of hitting those targets that that is you know one way of looking at it but it, it, it's it's all in balance isn't it <laughs> yeah and it's the problem with the appetite as well because if you do play a lot of sport when you're younger eh, your metabolism is, is more upbeat anyway but then as you get older you still have that same instinct to eat and you're not you're not burning the calories you were when i for example was playing semi-professional football and things like that so you have to be you have to be a little bit a little bit careful with that and adjust and try and Try and compensate with as much movement as possible if you're not doing the the intense stuff. One thing, yeah, about it's, that, it's, being, it's be, being an athlete for life is is how we've got to see it, really. Yeah. You know, people who who just see exercise or or movement as something that they have to do, just like they brush their teeth every morning. It's getting some exercise, some movement in every single day you know is is really something that we've got to work into our regime to, to to maintain our health for as long as possible yeah when it becomes a habit it's interesting how compulsive it is because you don't want to sit down then it's a sort of it's a flip you flip that switch and i know you talked about gut biome and i think there's some evidence perhaps that that influences your thoughts doesn't it if you have a healthy gut biome it's, it it sort of then navigates you towards those healthy foods in a straight can affect your, your desires 
Yeah, there's there's what we call the, the gut brain axis. And um, so the, the, one of the biggest nerves in the body, the vagus nerve con connects our, our, our gut and our brain. And, you know, the, the majority of our, our happy hormone, as some people call it, serotonin is, is produced in the gut. Um, and so th there's there's a huge connection between the gut and what we eat and, and how that influences. And, and you know, we, we've only just really starting scratching the surface of, of the research behind that. And uh, soon what what we may start seeing coming out is, is what we call rather than probiotics, which people all know from from sort of their live yogurts and things like that, but psychobiotics where you can get specific strains of bacteria that that you, you have in a capsule or, or or some other form and that influences your 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 mood positively and, and potentially treatments for anxiety or depression. But um, it's the way that the, the, the gut bugs um, it, it's essentially their waste products, um, their metabolites that uh, that really signal to our, our body, our immune system, our brain, our muscles. You know, there, there's probably not a system in the body that isn't influenced by these chemicals that they release. Yeah, you have to be careful on treat day that it doesn't become too often because then you, your gut biome changes and you, and you can't tear yourself away from it. But, you know, the opposite end of the spectrum if you eat a lot of greens, I do feel that compulsion to, to have a salad. It's quite an interesting thing. It's, it's mind, mind and body in synchronicity. Yeah, you, 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 you manipulate your, your gut bugs by, by what you eat. Um, just like we have our favourite foods, you know, your gut bugs have foods they, they like. And, and if you don't stock the, the food that they like soon... You know the, the less advantageous bugs enjoy then um you, you're going to start seeing all your gut bugs disappear <laughs> but if you start stocking up with all the foods that they like lots of fiber lots of plant-based foods lots of variety then you start seeing them take residence so you know the more they take residence then the more your your food preference tends to what they, they prefer Absolutely. We've, we've looked in terms of optimizing immunity on some different pillars. We've looked at sleep, nutrition, we've looked at movement, but I suppose there's an interplay as well in terms of reduction across those by the, this factor of stress, which, which comes into play. How do you look at stress, define stress? How do you encourage people to manage it when people would argue it's external circumstances? Is there a way that we can internally improve our, our response to stress, our perception of stress? So there, there are different types of stress. Um, you've got a, acute stress and you've got chronic stress. Um, and stress isn't always bad and, and the evil monster that, <laughs> that, that we fear. Um, you know, that, that's part of how exercise works is, is that is an acute stressor that, that um, ha results in a positive benefit. It, it's a, a process called hormesis, which is a little mm. bit of poison makes us stronger. Um, uh, and, and likewise, when we um, have our meal, you know, it stresses our guts. You, you see uh, more inflammation following a meal and you see a little bit more of the, the permeability or, or leakiness of, of the gut after a meal. But those sorts of things are, are part of our physiology and, and you know, that, that makes us stronger overall. Where it starts to, um, to, to, to become negative is, is where you get too much and it turns into more of a, a chronic stress. 
Uh, and that's, again, it's a little bit like the, the exercise scenario. If you get to exercise less than 60 minutes a day, then you, you don't see a buildup of the, the stress hormone cortisol and, and the immune suppressing effects that that has. Yeah. But you start to overdo it and, you know, go to more 90 minute sessions, then you start to see the stress building up, the higher rates of infection and things like that. And so the same applies stress it can be physical, it, it can be mental, uh, and, and it's what, what is really our life load. And so whilst some external stresses are, are unmanageable, uh, you can't do anything about them. It's a man, a, about doing what you can to improve your resilience to those stresses by uh, tackling the things that are under your control. Mm. Um, so your emotional regulation very much influenced by the duration and quality of sleep that you get. Um, yeah. <clears throat> how, how stressed are you during the day? You know, things like meditation, mindfulness and those sorts of things can help to, to lower your stress levels during the day. And so whilst stresses that are out of our control do have a significant negative impact, if we can improve our resilience to them, then that has that that counterbalances that to a degree. So by by staying fit, by moving regularly, you get the the uh, anti-inflammatory effect of that to counter the inf pro-inflammatory effect of stress. Sleeping well, getting good quality sleep, prioritizing that <clears throat> um, that that helps our emotional regulation and not to react to stress so much. Um, and 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 as we were talking about earlier, our, our diet and and the influence our diet has on on uh, our, our responses to stress on a reaction. So uh, and and of course, stress causes a, a problem with our blood sugar regulation as well. So another reason to look yeah. at what we're eating and how that influences our stress response. Yeah, because often stress can affect our sleep if, if we let it, then it affects our inclination to do movement or exercise and it. It then affects our food choices when we're tired, we go for, we crave that sugar. So in a sense, we, we have, yeah. And what you have to say is, no, I don't need to stay up late because I've got a lot to do. I need to get a good night's sleep and start in the morning. It's almost rewiring it, isn't it? Because I think when we're under stress, we feel like we should put everything else on the side. Yeah, the, the, there's lo lots of evidence to show how... Uh, when you look at students who are swatting up for an exam, those who pull an all-nighter versus those who actually say, no, books down, get a good night's sleep, you know, perform so much better, you know, the, the temptation is just to cram, cram, cram till the last minute. But actually, you know, that sleep deprivation counter, it, it outweighs any extra inflammation that you get from that cramming. So yeah, same, same sort of thing with, with stress. It's, you know, if you're staying up late to try and, you know, resolve a, a complex, stressful situation, often actually, and, and you know, again, going back to, to, to things that we've known all along, people just say, go, go and have a sleep on it, and then, you yeah, know, yeah. Get, get back to it in the morning, and that's exactly the, the, the reason, is that if we go to bed, sleep on it, then we, we make much more rational, logical decisions, and, and less emotional ones, if we've had a chance to um, recover emotionally from the day.
Yeah, I had a maths teacher who used to say that. And I remember a professor actually in my master's of journalism in the USA, a kind of guy who was, who was quite senior, probably in his late 60s, early 70s at the time. And he was saying he just couldn't believe students, the way they'd throat themselves around exam time. He said, stop going to the gym, just order junk food in and, uh, and stay up late. And it's sort of like sort of counterintuitive. There's almost a sort of sadiomasochistic aspect to it that by punishing yourself, you're going to get a better, a better grade when it's obviously counterintuitive. Ram, where should we start with, with, with these pillars? Is there, is there a a go-to thing is it is it the movement is it is it sleep or is it kind of being conscious and trying to make habit changes in in all areas i think everybody is is you know as we said all along it is very much individual you know you you can get look at sleep and say there's not a single physiological process that isn't detrimentally impacted by sleep deprivation. And likewise, there's not a, a process that isn't, you know, significantly enhanced by improving sleep quality. But equally, you, you know, physical activity and, and movement is, is critical. So I think looking at your individual scenario and situation is is the first step and just reflecting on what the easy wins are you know if if you are somebody who really struggles to 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 get to bed on mm. time and you wake up unrefreshed and you need to reach for that caffeine first thing in the morning to get yeah. yourself going then maybe starting with with sleep is 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 the thing to start for you um, but, but somebody who is pretty good, they get to bed at 10 o'clock and they wake up at six o'clock and their you know, sleep's not a problem, but that they're overweight or they've been told that they're starting to develop pre-diabetes, <coughs> then looking at their, their level of, of movement in com combination with what they're eating, that's going to be the, the, the sort of starting point for them. Um, so it, it's looking what the root cause is, uh, you know, if for somebody else, they've got a reasonable diet, but they're just in a and working themselves to the bone, high intensity, stressful job, uh, and they see that their blood sugars uh, are sort of starting to rise up, then potentially for them, it's looking about ways to relax and, and de-stress and, uh, and, you know, prevent that rise in cortisol. That, that's probably more their issue. Yeah, it's often the interplay, as we say, between them, isn't it? Sometimes the movement will beget the sleep because you're tired and et cetera, et cetera, give you more daylight, which which affects your ability to sleep. And then nutrition, if you're you're eating better, you won't have those sugar spikes and, and things like that. So it's all it's all interconnected. Before you go, though, Rand, tell us about uh, Crockett and Crook. I believe it's uh, the longevity and perform or performance and longevity medicine. You're, you're up in full swing, are you, in Cheltenham now? <laughs> well, what we're actually doing is we're, we're pausing that and we're, we're developing a new clinic um, which is going to be very much based on, on those, those sort of um, th th those um, aspects. So, so performance and longevity medicine, trying to help people to optimize their health through a physiology-based approach. So essentially it's, it's looking at taking a similar approach that you might consider with, with an athlete looking yeah. at the nutrition, looking at their, their physiology, how their body's working, their metabolism, um, sleep and everything like that. Um, and and we're, we're, so, so we're looking to have a, a multidisciplinary team surrounding the individual, looking at the diet. We've got physiologists, um, obviously there'll be some doctors, some, some coaches, um, uh, and some personal trainers so that you can really create very individualized plans 
but also there's that coaching aspect of it. So there, there is that um, uh, ability to touch in, to, to have somebody who you're accountable to, to really yeah. help make these changes long-term life, lifetime habits. Brilliant. And, and where do we find out the information about that if people are interested in, 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 in sort of engaging with you guys? Uh, so so it, it will all be coming soon. So, oh, okay. so the, the website will all, all change. <laughs> uh, we're just going through the, the last hoops of, of, of registering with the regulatory bodies for, for the necessary bits and things like that. Brilliant. And a final note, if we can optimise our immunity better as individuals across society, what impact would that have on the national health system? Because we, we've talked about the NHS throughout the pandemic, haven't we, and, and the heroic work it does. But this would be a huge boost, wouldn't it, if we, if we looked after ourselves to a, a better state? Yeah, it, it would be a, a massive impact. You know, the, 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 the figures suggest about 70% of chronic diseases are lifestyle related. So, you know, if, if mm. you look at how, how much of, of, of a saving that would make on, on the NHS, that, that would be, you know, billions. Yeah. billions. Um, so, so yes, it, it would make a huge, huge impact. Um, but the trouble is it, it's not straightforward. And so much research has gone into, you know, behavioral change and whole systems approaches to, to how we can get everybody from, from sort of all corners of society and, uh, and, and really get them to make these sort of lifestyle changes that uh, are well grounded in evidence. But sometimes it's just tricky to get whole populations to, to, to achieve that. So that's really the, the, the public health challenge is how, how can we make those, those widespread changes and, and how can we support individuals um, because, you know, for, for a lot of people, they want to make changes, but they don't know how or they don't have access to, to the necessary information or the knowledge or, or the resources. So it's, it's a, not necessarily an individual problem to fix, but a more of a, a society population level thing to, to try and take up the baton to, to address that challenge. Yeah, and I agree. We always have to be sympathetic to, to the environment that people are surrounded by and how fortunate I feel that I had a, a father who was very nutritionally minded and also went to a sports science university at Loughborough that was very you know key on allying that sort of performance to what you do and what what lifestyle choices you make and and, and just being aware I think that it is a, it's a it's a precarious world we're presented with when we're bombarded with sort of soda pop adverts every two seconds and fast food and and we're encouraged to stay home and watch Netflix and not move and sit on the couch it's you do have to it takes a bit of enlightenment and hopefully Hopefully we'll get there. Ran, I really appreciate you again speaking to the podcast and um, we'll look forward to, to seeing in the future that the new project being unveiled and, and finding out more yes. about that. Yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll, I'll keep you up to date, but thank you very much. It's been a pleasure once again, Ed, and great, great to see you. Thanks, Ran. Always love speaking to Dr. Ran Crook. Follow him on social media. I believe he's still Cotswold Optimal Health on Instagram, but may have a new account for his new vision as all that project launches, which he'll be across there as well. Fantastic, actually, that he is working in general practice, but also on the side looking to popularize preemptive health. Um, talking about there that the cost to the national health system in the UK, or whatever the health costs globally, particularly in the West, isn't it? We've suffered from these lifestyle issues where this drive to to rest and to gorge ourselves on junk food, we're not really 
design for it are we and the environment is i think very challenging so I have a lot of sympathy for people but i think there's some pragmatic practical advice there and certainly stuff around movement doesn't have to be particularly arduous or strenuous or some macho ultra marathon it's all about just not being still for too long and on that note i better wrap up the podcast hadn't i maybe you're walking around listening that's why i like audio it's passive but thank you for listening to the podcast thank you to ran for his time thank you to the sponsors bang olufsen of cheltenham and serene av who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations check out bno underscore cheltenham on social media or the website to get in touch with jason briggs and his fine time uh, team and if you are interested in supplements possibly talked about vitamin d there and they certainly stock that at cytoplan if you head to cytoplan.co.uk which is c-y-t-o-p-l-a-n.co.uk our vitamin b12 for vegans we mentioned there as well and I know people that friends of mine have children who are vegans and it's sometimes more difficult to, to round their diet up. So maybe supplementation is a good option. Um, can be picky, can't they? Young kids. Um, so adults can as well. But if you go to cytoplan.co.uk, you can get a discount on supplements at uh, the code DRAPER10R, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, my last name, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. If you're interested, if you've just got that, if that rings a bell, resonates with you emotionally, prospect of, of having a long form conversation with one of your loved ones for Attic Box Audio, in which I would either come to their house, your house, or you could come to a, a studio that we could set up. It's a concept we're working on um, under the name Attic Box Audio, just to, to, to put people's voices on record, their personality, their stories for history, for generations to come. And it's something I'd love to have when I'm cooking or driving to hear my granddad's recollections that when I was on his knee as a young boy in London on the back stairs in Acton, West London, looking at the Heathrow flight path, wondering where the planes were going. And then my granddad would talk about his childhood up in the Northeast and, and how he dodged his homework and hid it in a cupboard and all sorts of things like that. And then his early painting and decorating days, his time in the Second World War, which he didn't go into too much graphic detail, but got blew, blown up a couple of times and just would like to hear them there because me memories get fuzzy, don't they? And the, the memories of their voice, loved ones' voices gets a bit hazy. So that's an idea, Attic Box Audio at drapermedia.co.uk. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the podcast with Ran. I hope it was useful for you. Uh, let me know. If so, you can email hello at drapermedia.co.uk. Rate it. Write a review on iTunes, wherever you're listening on. There's loads of platforms now. I think 12 or 13, the podcast Sport and Life's available on. And yeah, great to hear from you. Pass it on social media, physically. Otherwise, I think word of mouth is always more powerful, isn't it, sometimes? And recommendations on social media. If someone tells you this is a great podcast, often it will lead to you listening to it. So if you could do that, if you do, anyway, if you do want to recommend it, that'd be fantastic. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it, guys. Have a great week and goodbye for now.